Happiness is a word which describes a property that we all want in our lives. No one wants to be unhappy. Aristotle thought that happiness was the sole good of humanity, something unique to humans which rewarded them for following their nature well. This idea of happiness has been replicated and discussed in philosophy by philosophers time after time. From John Stuart Mill and Locke, we see happiness as the driving factor for a nation to make its decision calculus. This idea is one in which we're so enraptured today, our minds operate that we still make many of our own decisions based on such a utility calculation as it is called. But before we talk about these theories, a more fundamental question needs to be answered. What is happiness? If we can't define it, how can we discuss why it's a good? How can we discuss what those theories are about? What processes are involved in happiness's production? Is happiness even real? Welcome to Open Door Philosophy. I'm Taylor Jones. And along with me is Derek Parsons. Uh, hello. <laughs> and Andrew Graziano. Hi. <laughs> trying to sound more sad. Oh, okay. Oh, and, and welcome to episode 64 on happiness. Y'all do not seem very happy today. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm happy. Uh. <laughs> it's like a happiness from burnt out, you know? I mean, this is a great way to begin this whole episode, because uh, can I be happy and also feel this way at the same time? It really is. That's a really good point. Yeah. 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 We don't want to get too in-depth, though. Now, let's talk about how we're doing. Taylor? Yeah. Me? Yeah. You've had a very eventful weekend. Yeah, I think I've done a lot of stuff since we last recorded. I gave a speech at IB matriculation to all the incoming juniors to encourage them on their IB journey. And then I got my wisdom teeth out. Oh, that's right. So that was an experience. Oh, yeah. And then I moved to college, and I'm in my first college apartment. One of my friends is here, and then our other two roommates are not. Hmm. But, yeah, it's been very eventful for the last couple of weeks. My family is gone, and they're at home, and I won't see them for a month, which is hard when, like, I mean, I've been with my parents and my sister all summer, seen so much of them. So to see them not at all is such a different change of pace. But yeah. Yeah. That's not happy. It's kind of sad. It's kind of sad, Taylor. What's going on? It's kind of sad. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's exciting, but also like bittersweet. Yeah. So, hey, I have a question for you. In the last episode, you said, this is before you're getting ready to move to college, you said you had made the most beautiful notion board or something. I don't know what that is. Can you tell me what that is? Scam. (gasps) Yes, I can. So Notion is an online planner and people will develop like Notion templates that you can use and make them very aesthetically pleasing and like work for all sorts of things. You can have to-do lists and calendars and like school stuff or work or like really anything you need to organize. So it's like Google Calendar except pretty. Yes. It's like Google Calendar if it also was connected to spreadsheets and Google Docs all in one place. I have to check this out. Okay, I thought I thought I had something entirely no. different in my head. Okay, cool. So it's a it's a computer application, huh? Yes. A website and you can get it on as an app for your computer and your phone. Wow. It's just everywhere. Sound like an ad. It's really great. Uh, I really do sound like an old person now. Andrew, are you familiar with this notion? I am familiar ah, with this. Get it? <laughs> I am. I am familiar with this notion. And uh, That was an unintended joke. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm not a fan, but I know a lot mm. of people are. I just take so long to set up. Yeah, so. it definitely did take a while to set up, but I like it now that it's all set up. I'm kind of a planner dork, so I'm going to check mm-hmm. this out. I'm always searching for the perfect planner, yeah. and I can never find one, and I use one for three mm-hmm. months and then throw it away and get angry and get another yeah, one. Yeah, I I'm still a Google Calendar guy. Mm, I still have my physical planner, too. I'll never leave that behind, but I like having a digital. Should always have a physical mm-hmm. planner. Yes. Yeah. All right, Andrew, what's going on with you, man? Uh, not too much. You know, this summer, it's kind of hot. And I, th- I think it's just the heat. It just sucks energy from your skin. And yeah, it's been a yeah. bit hot. Yeah. Everything's dying. It's not a happy Everything time. Everything is dying. But so that's been really, I think it's been really interesting to see at least like a, a thing, a thing like that. And I also have recently started working. So that's also been a fun time. And that's been good. I really do. You know, as much as, as as hot as it's been, and as l- little rain as there's been, weather weather forecast of the week, it has been. We've had some beautiful sunrises and sunsets, so that's a positive. That's great. That's great. Well, now that you're working, you can be a tax paying citizen and contribute to society. So well done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's awful. We need your dollars. Yeah, it's like, do I do I really need to pay for this retirement thing? I don't know. Oh, you sure do. Yeah. Let me tell you about the magic of compound interest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the one thing you should have been taught in school. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a supporter of the, you know, 401k, the 407, whatever, the deferred IRA stuff, but just the, the retirement tax, whenever I see it, because I just think to my, like, social security stuff, I'm just like, am I ever going to, this is not going to, there's no way this will exist when I'm time to receive it, so... Actually, you know, I mean, we're really getting off topic here, but but I have an interesting insight on this. So I grew up in the the 80s, you know, when Reagan was president. Mm. And uh, I got to tell you, throughout my entire life, honestly, since the 80s, I've always heard that Medicare, Medicaid, or whatever it is for old people, because that's not me yet. Although I did get an advertisement for AARP in the mail the other day. <laughs> That's kind of so, sad. <laughs> yeah, it was a little depressing. I won't lie. I won't lie. Anyway, uh, I'm telling you, ever since I, I even knew what Social Security was, uh, everyone in the news and the politicians have been like, it's going to disappear by blah, blah, blah. And still here. And I'm going to be eligible to get it one of these days. So... I don't know, Andrew. I think it. I'm not optimistic may be here. about this. I'm not optimistic. <laughs> I'm not optimistic. Well, at then all. you better start your own savings plans. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to pay the tax. I I, I have to. Yeah, that's true. You got to pay into it. Yeah. Well, how are you doing, Mister Parsons? How are you oh, doing? thank you, thank you, thank you for derailing me. I was getting ready to talk about the uh, the top one percent of the one percent uh. in taxes. Okay. <laughs> I'm doing fine. Actually, you know, I'm uh, – see, you know, you know uh, Taylor said uh, uh, bitter but happy at the same oh, time. Bittersweet, yeah. Bittersweet. Uh, it's kind of been my last couple weeks. Mm. I mean, school started and, I, and I, I love teaching and it's great to have new kids and everything. But what I – especially some of this summer uh, or these last two weeks, it seems, in the last two weeks, I've had the, the absolute joy to see a number of my former students from – a variety of graduating years mm-hmm. to say hello to them and then also kind of goodbye to them before they're getting ready to go off to college. And that's been just so good for like my, my soul to see them and 
you know, get to talk and hug him and wish him well. And but uh, but at the same time, it makes me sad. No, go ahead, go ahead. Seen anyone from 2019? I've not seen anyone from 2019. I have seen someone from 2018. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah. Other than you know, like trying not to dive heat stroke. Um, I don't want to make light of that. It's really mm. terrible out there. I hope everyone's doing well. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been good. It's been good. I would say I'm happy. Okay, well, let's jump into this episode. Time like the present. Let me stop you right there, Andrew, and say, you know, before we get going, let's resurrect one of our old bits. Let's head over to the quote corner. (laughs) Oh, man, here we are again. It's been a few months. Wow. Place is looking good. Although we got to keep the blinds closed during the day because the sun coming in makes the the heat go up in the room and we don't want to raise the air conditioning bill. But anyway, ah, oh, wow, it's so great to be here. Uh, I'll take the beanbag. <laughs> I'll take the pipe couch. <laughs> the, the what couch? <laughs> that sounds so bad. <laughs> okay. The pipe couch? Yeah, like the little, you know. What does that even mean? It's the, <laughs> it's the Bertrand, <laughs> Bertrand pipe. Oh, <laughs> that kind of pipe. I was like, are we talking about Mario Brothers here? Are we? <laughs> I cannot. I'll take the bungee chair, like the one that I have in my, my bedroom. That's mm-hmm. right. Okay. Well, very good. So, cor- Corner, if uh, any listeners are unfamiliar with this, we just read a quote and then arbitrarily give it a rating of five, one to five stars. So, that's right. Uh, Taylor, this is your quote, so you can read it for us. I found this on Twitter today, tweeted by Samantha Rosehill. I'm a big fan. It is a Hannah Arendt quote, and she says, What is the most difficult is to love the world as it is, with all the evil and suffering in it. Well. Well, let me stop you right there and say uh? say another negative thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> if I had my turnitin.com submission link... I'd find all red over all of us. A 2,000-year-old Jesus quote. What? Yeah, It's man. a 2,000-year-old Jesus quote? This is Catholicism 101. This is our bread and butter. I don't know if this lady is a Catholic. I need a book, chapter, and verse, man. Yeah. It's the cross. Uh, no, no. You said it's, it's plagiarism. Yeah. <laughs> well, not direct plagiarism. You know what I mean. It's uh, like a, it's, okay. Well, isn't that still plagiarism if they don't cite the inspiration? <laughs> Yeah, I'm just kidding. I love this. I love the idea. I really do. I think it's a fantastic idea. I love it. What's your rating? Yeah. <laughs> now go ahead. Everybody say a little bit about it and then we'll arbitrarily rate. Yeah, go ahead, Taylor. Well, since I picked the quote, um, I think it's pretty clear that I quite like it. I, I think in the context of Arendt's life, too, it's really powerful that she would make such a statement when the world was so evil. Yeah, it is a powerful statement coming out of World War II and herself being a Jew Mm -hmm. and having to leave Germany. And uh, absolutely, I mean, we're complaining about the heat. And don't get me wrong, it's Mm -hmm. bad. But, oh, geez, I cannot fathom having lived through something like World War Mm -hmm. II, especially living in Europe. So, I mean, she's right. In one way, this is really interesting. It really ties in with our episode well. You know, is, is happiness like a perspective? You know, pe- people people might look at life uh, more positively or more negatively, more more melancholic versus happy. What is the world? Hannah here sa- Arnett says it's difficult to love it the way it is, mm-hmm. and that must mean that it's messed up. I think that's true to, to a certain degree, of course. 
some people say that's the beauty of being a human, you know, is to Hamlet and the slings and arrows of life's outrageous fortune uh, and somehow bearing witness to it. Um, but anyway, I guess that's all I have to say. <laughs> well, I, I took the tone down, guys. All right, we got to rate this thing on the scale of one to five stars. Uh, we'll start with Andrew. Uh, no context. Just say it. 3.5. Okay, Taylor. I'm going to go four stars. Uh, I'm four stars as well, yes. Yeah, that's pretty good. I have no justification. Yeah. Feels right. Yeah. Yeah. Feels right. Feels right. Yeah. Like feelings. Like his happiness of feeling. So let's start talking about it. This episode, we're going to be talking about what is happiness. And before we start describing what happiness is and different views on happiness, we really need to narrow the field of scope for this episode. If we really want to talk about aspects of happiness, characteristics of it, uh, or kind of modern theories surrounding it, it's going to be way too long of an episode. have to remember that a lot, especially especially in ethics, most of our ethical systems depend upon happiness in some way, shape, or form. And so before we need to really delve deeper into these theories and such, we really need to take a step back and, and be good philosophers and ask the questions about the roots. So we're just going to be talking about what happiness is, and that's going to be our focus, just that question for this ap- episode. Before we get started, though, why don't we each take a second to say what we think happiness is? Taylor, I'll pass it to you first. Okay. I think that happiness is a form of internal joy that has to be somewhat separated from our circumstances because if our happiness is only contingent on what we're going through a lot of times, that means we're going to be really unhappy. Not that it can't be influenced by life circumstances, but it has to be some form of joy that's separate in some way from the things that are going on in our lives so that we can maintain a balanced perspective. That's great. Yeah. Parsons, what about you? Well, I've thought about happiness for years and I've never really quite, I I think, pinned down my thoughts on it. Here's what I do think about it, though, when I do think about it. I'm kind of opposite of you, Taylor. I I think happiness is contextual and I think happiness is an emotion and emotions are constantly changing because we as human beings are constantly changing. That's the state of consciousness. So I don't think happiness is something more deeply rooted than that. I feel like it's just what's going on right then. I attend my granddaughter's uh, birthday and I'm happy about that. Uh, After we leave, um, I mean, I'm still in a good mood, but I don't know I'm necessarily happy. I feel like it's a real transitory sort of emotion. Now, you know, to, but to go back to, to link what you said a bit about joy, uh, or some other type of mental state, I think you can maintain something that is positive. If we want to call that joy, we can, but you can be joyous without, not, without being happy. Mm-hmm. Now, I've not totally worked that out, but, but I've always kind of leaned towards happiness as, is a fleeting emotion. And so almost the pursuit of it is not really worthwhile. Hmm. You need to pursue something deeper. 
Uh, I think I'm uh, out of third field from all of y'all. Uh, oh, this is great. So it's good. good. I think happiness is a probably what y'all believe to be what joy is. I think it's a stage in life, or it's a state in life, not a stage, a state in life that arises once we have we have become a, a certain way through our deeds and our actions, our thoughts and our words. Um, it's kind of a, a, sta- a state that we can reach that we're molded into. And, and I think that we get to that through acting well. I, the reason I choose happiness over joy or joyful, if I'm happy, well, we'll talk about that later. Let's not talk about that now. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm with you, Andrew. Um, you and I are probably thinking of the same quote in our head, and that's yeah. the Arist- uh, Aristotle quote of, happiness is an activity of the soul in accordance with virtue. And from that particular perspective, yes, it does seem like happiness is not as I described it. And that Aristotle quote really resonates with me, I have to be Mm -hmm. honest. Um, So then I just wonder about, you know, well, how are we defining happiness? How did Aristotle define it? How did, how do I define it? Uh, Et cetera. Yeah. And we can talk a little bit more about this later Uh, because I don't want us to get too pedantic Mm -hmm. with like joy versus happiness, although we probably should talk about that. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we we can talk about that later, I, I suppose. But I think what we mean, should we talk about happiness versus joy now? We can sure go for it, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, we might as well talk about joy versus happiness now, since I just talked about it. My understanding of joy is something that is a fleeting, um, that's an emotion that causes happiness if it's there in large enough quantities it causes <laughs> happiness i was i was thinking a lot about this a long time ago because i was thinking about these sorts of things so i looked at the cambridge dictionary like all good young boys do <laughs> and um, i looked up the word joyful uh, what it said was very happy okay <laughs> and so if it's just an adjective that means like a certain way of happiness, I think happiness has to come before it. And happiness has to be the state and joy has to be the cause. This is why the joy, like joyful season, we use it in such a way that makes me seem like it's it's fleeting. The term joy. What do y'all think or nothing right now? I think I'm kind of opposite to that. If we're going to really draw lines in the sand between happiness and joy. Yeah, I figured you would be. Yeah. Joy is something that's more eternal. Somebody or something, a circumstance can't take your joy away from you. That's something that you hold in your heart, would like right up there with love. And I don't know what else you would hold in your heart, but love and joy in your heart. And happiness would be more of the fleeting thing. But I think when we're talking just conversationally, we kind of blend the line between happiness and joy and kind of end up somewhere in the middle. Oh, yeah. I agree on that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't know where this – I think the sense of joy is being something that is just – is the underlying thing is like the mm-hmm. popular conception of it now. That's, yeah. that's my – I've heard that more and more mm-hmm. over the years. I think it's yeah. the self-help books. I'm not saying it's the Maybe. self-help <laughs> readers. I think that's just – no, I think that's just why it's been populated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it has because I don't know. I've never heard that word like reading old things and things. I don't know. Wait, are you saying the joy board I put together last week is not 
<laughs> I've never heard of this before. Have you not heard of joy boards? No. They're like notion boards, but, uh, you know, I'm just kidding. Sorry, it's a bad joke. All right. <laughs> it didn't go anywhere. Sometimes jokes die, and that's just the way it is. And, you know, jo- uh, jokes are like happiness. You know, they're fleeting. Good one. Yeah. Good thing. Okay. Here, here's, where, here's where I'm on. So, I don't really like the term joy, I'll be <laughs> honest with you. I um, don't either. But then again, I have my issues with happiness as well. I don't know. I hate to be so, you know, Greek about this, Aristotelian about this, but I feel like I feel like this thing that we're talking about, which is a type of satisfaction, mm-hmm. can go back to, you know, ataraxia. So what I'm trying to get at here is that there's something more fundamental. Like when I think of like, what is happiness? What is joy? What are these types of things? It's not a momentary enthusiasm or something like that. There's got to be something deeper Mm -hmm. than that that can bring that about, Mm -hmm. right? And so, when I think of like, what is happiness? What is joy? I think it's contentment. I think it's peace of mind. I think it's tranquility. Ataraxia. Mm -hmm. It's not some enthusiasm, although certainly happiness can, or a, a really wonderful event can sort of spur that feeling, right? That, that enthusiasm. Like I talked about. All these students I got to see the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks. That was some real happiness. It was a real thrill, real enthusiasm. But there's something that's deeper uh, in that particular river that I feel like it's the idea of like satisfaction, peacefulness, tranquility, which people might think is very different from, from happiness. I don't know. What do you think? I think that I would say that the satisfaction would almost fall into my conception of joy. Like being content mm-hmm. and able to have, I don't know, We're I feel like we're running out of words to say. Like I can't come to the words that I want to <laughs> say to get my idea across without using happiness or joy. But like having. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. I I think I, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no go, go ahead. ahead. Did you have through. clarifying? Okay. Happiness just has to be a state of being because no one says I'm happiness. I'm happiness, right? It's it's I'm happy, which I think they probably mean joy. What's the what's the long term lasting word for joy? I'm joyful. No, that's mm-hmm. an adjective to, to describe happiness as a noun, which is a description of a state of state of being. Joyful is a it's an adjective. Hmm. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know what's long lasting joy. What's the word for that? Just joy. Yeah, I would say so. You're such a logical positivist. Yeah, I am. Like, you know, he's in a state of joy. I don't know. It just doesn't, that that sounds weird to me. Well, okay. So I think, okay. So this we, is where this all leads to, I yeah. think. We are trying to create human words for, I don't even know if emotion is the right word, a, a state of being. We're, we're trying to come up with words to describe a particular state. And, uh, and there might be different levels of that particular state and we're saying well one level is mm-hmm. happiness another level is joy another level is ataraxia but what we're trying to do is try and take human words and yeah. and put it to this feeling if, if feeling is even the right word which is very interesting to think about you know so now we're talking about nouns and adjectives and well that's uh, what i, I mean to man no 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 it's great i mean like that's yeah. the importance of uh, mm-hmm. that's that's linguistics yeah, I don't know. It's but just I just think it's interesting, right? Yeah, and yeah. Now, like, what I mean, did we? That's exactly um, right. That's exact. That's exactly the point. These words are the underlying principle. Like they're the underlying things. We can't go further. We can't drill down because mm-hmm. these are the fundamental mm-hmm. building blocks, and that's why it's so difficult to talk about. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like love, right? You know, our, our previous two episodes, yeah. you know, we're trying to describe this, this feeling and this feeling comes about. And again, if feeling's the right word comes about in many different ways with different people for different types of relationships and all that sort of stuff. And we're just trying to pin down exactly, exactly what that means. Let me bring up a book that I'm reading right now. Uh, it came out in 2009. It's called The Happiness Project. Mm-hmm. It's by Gretchen Rubin. You know, knowing that we were going to talk about happiness and there's this book, The Happiness Project, I'm like, okay, well, somewhere in here, this book is going to say exactly what happiness mm-hmm. is, right? What Rubin says in her introduction is, is that she thinks happiness is just simply too hard to define. She looked up all kinds of different Sources, uh, authorities, psychology, philosophy, religion, trying to find like what the definition for happiness is. She said in academic terms, she found approximately 15. Um, you know, if you take all those definitions from different places and try to cobble them all together, about 15 different unique takes on what happiness is. And I think we've kind of echoed this already. Uh, she's like, okay, well, I just don't think I'm going to define it because it's something I know when I see it, right? I know it when I see mm-hmm. it. And she brings up other examples of people saying, I know it when I see it. For instance, uh, the great jazz trumpeter Louis Armstrong says, you know, if you, if you have to ask what jazz is, you'll never know. And it's interesting when, when then there are certain things in our experience, our human experience, where we're like, okay, we just can't go any further. Mm-hmm. Like, what is jazz? Yeah. You know, uh, is it music? Is it a particular style of music? Is it a lifestyle? Is it, uh, is it a way of looking at the world? Is it, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, if you, you listen to Taylor Swift and then you listen to Louis Armstrong, you're like, oh, well, one is jazz and one isn't. Oh, that may be too simplistic. But anyway, I, th- I thought that was interesting. She just kind of says like, so So in her research, she's like, okay, well, when I know that I am happy uh, or I feel that I'm happy or I think that I'm happy, well, I must be happy mm-hmm. and just move on. I think that's similar to a lot of things like love. You can't define love, but you can know it when you see it or when you feel it, when you feel love between yourself and another person or you see the interactions between two people that kind of show you that deep care that we perceive or we call love. Yeah. That's awfully fun to debate mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's talk it. What? Let's do. Let's talk about it. There's three-ish. I mean, there's technically four, but there's three big views on uh on this question of happiness the uh, three big buckets that i think people fill in one is a hedonistic view one is a satisfaction view and then one is an emotive view and the emotion view and the hedonistic view are kind of related closer together satisfaction view is a little bit apart so we're all going to take one of these each mm-hmm. who's taking hedonistic oh i'm hedonism oh, you're he- hedonism okay mm-hmm. I'm the embodiment of hedonism. Yeah. Okay, great. So let's hear about it. I mean, I'm glad uh, we're talking about hedonism finally. <laughs> like what this podcast needs is a little more hedonism. We're yeah. entirely too puritanical. So We are. <laughs> we sure are. Golly. Uh, let's embrace it. Let's just get hedonistic. Actually, what do you guys think of when you hear the word hedonistic? Just just totally raw. What do you, what do you think? Pleasure. Pleasure. Okay. No rules. No rules. Okay. That's good. That's great. 
So hedonism comes from the Greek word for pleasure. In this hedonistic view, really what we're talking about is pleasure and pain. Pleasure motivates us, pain motivates us. If you know anything about ethical philosophy, you know exactly what this sounds like. It's utilitarianism. But I digress and we'll continue. So obviously pleasure aligns with what we would call happiness and pain aligns with what we would call unhappiness. I mean, you don't have a toothache and need a root canal and you're probably not happy. You're in pain. You're probably unhappy. And, uh, you know, that tooth gets pulled and it gets fixed and you feel better. And all of a sudden, hey, I feel better. I'm happy. So it's pleasure and it's pain. That can be emotional pain, of course, and emotional pleasure. It can be physical pleasure, uh, like the toothache. It can be uh, pleasure derived from experience, right? I have a great deal of money so I can have a massive house and all kinds of really cool things and all my friends can be impressed. Uh, or I can be depressed because I lost all my money because I put it in crypto. So, <laughs> so we have ethical and evaluative hedonism, these claims that only pleasure has worth or value and only pain or displeasure has disvalue or the opposite of worth. So there's a couple of schools of philosophy or philosophers I'd like to reference very quick. Well, just for fun, before we get into the philosophers, uh, from the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, they do offer a number of words that would be pleasure and or pain. It's kind of like basically a thesaurus. I thought I'd read a few of them real quickly. So they say, in general, pleasure is understood broadly below as indicating or as included in all pleasant feelings or experiences such as contentment, delight, ecstasy, elation, enjoyment, euphoria, exhilaration, exhalation, gladness, gratification, gratitude, joy, liking, love, relief, satisfaction, schadenfreude, love that, and tranquility, and so on. So, you know, when we talk about trying to define something, we could take each one of these words and, and probably uh, take issue with each one of them, right? But pleasure, you know, schadenfreude is interesting because in a way that's kind of like negative pleasure. Uh, but anyway, and as far as plainer displeasure goes, I mean, it's a really long list. I won't read all of it, but I'll read some of the ones I liked. Uh, it says pain or displeasure too is understood broadly below as including or as included in all unpleasant experiences or feelings such as ache, agitation, agony, anguish, annoyance, anxiety, boredom, chagrin, desolation, desperation, despondency. I like this one. Discombobulation, <laughs> discontentment, disorientation, distress, ennui, gloominess, hatred, horror, melancholia, loathing, resentment, suffering, sullenness, unease, vexation, and so on is what it says. <laughs> you know, they bothered, uh, by the way, only read about half of those. Uh, they have far more descriptors for pain than pleasure, which is very interesting to me. But nonetheless, again, we could take issue with, with each one of those of exactly what is pain and what is pleasure. We could reference so many philosophers and, and theories. The three I've chosen is Epicurus, which is Greek, Aquinas, which is uh, medieval, and then Bentham and Mill, which is modern utilitarianism. So I'll go over them very briefly, unless you guys have any comments at this point. You know, I'll just think of my list. Well, not my list. Do you want to hear more? Yeah, keep them going. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll just go chronological here. So I'll talk about Epicurus. I'm a little disappointed in myself, I have to be honest, of all the 
uh, Greek schools. This is the one I know the least about, although I know something about it. I know enough to be dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> Epicurus came after uh, uh, Socrates and, and Aristotle and uh, a number of schools based on their philosophy sprung up during this time and Epicureanism was one of them. Listeners might be familiar with the term Epicurean, which is used not a whole lot today, but still is often associated with food, um, especially just luxurious food, if you will, which kind of where it gets its name or where it gets its uh, association with hedonism, right? So Epicurus defined happiness as a state of tranquility and freedom from pain. That's all it is, tranquility and freedom from pain, which he referred to as ataraxia. His conception of happiness was deeply rooted in his philosophy of seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. Sounds very uh, Millish and Benthamish. But this is something very important about Epicurus's philosophy, and is often overlooked by people who hear Epicurus and think of hedonism or something like that. It's really important to understand that the Epicurus concept of pleasure was not just synonymous with momentary fleeting gra- uh, gratification. This wasn't just like enthusiasms and constantly seeking pleasure in the moment. Pleasure for Epicurus was very much so aligned with his broader ethical principles, which all go back to uh, Plato and Aristotle and notions of virtue. And the idea of delayed gratification is also a very important aspect of Epicurean philosophy. So it's not just in-the-moment pleasure, seeking in-the-moment pleasure. It does take into account virtue and concepts such as delayed gratification. So, Epicurus in a nutshell. Andrew, you, or both of you, you might have something more to say about Epicurus. No, I don't have anything more to say. He's a, he's a really fun, fun, cool dude. And I don't know if we've ever talked about stories on the podcast about him, but he has some cool stories. He's a guy who practiced what he preached, and uh, mm-hmm. I think I think it's exactly right to to say it's not like a short term short term form of of pleasure. Mm-hmm. Pleasure can be long term, setting ourselves for like long term pleasures. I think what we modernly understand as like being an Epicurean and a hedonist doesn't necessarily connect with epicurus in his philosophy just because of that long term kind of thing i think now we think it's just like Mm. pigging out on donuts uh whenever we want them whenever we feel that he would say like okay it might feel good now but over in the long term you know doing that's not going to be good going to the gym is going to be good because we can extend our lives we can have more pleasurable experiences things of that nature Uh, so i think that's a really great distinction that you draw Mm mm-hmm and it was a big school all throughout the classical period of Greece and Rome. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, you, you read Marcus Aurelius or the Stoics, and the Stoics talk about the Epicureans, you know, like uh, they're the people on the other side of the fence. Yeah, um, man. There's a lot of uh, – uh, one of the most famous uh, pieces of uh, Roman literature is called um, On the Nature of Things by Lucretius, mm, which is mm-hmm. a, a long poem mm. that's actually really beautiful about hedonism it's really Mm -hmm. it's good it was a famous book in its time it's great recommend Mm. it's beautiful beautiful poems all right we're rolling on uh saint thomas aquinas good old thomas aquinas our boy our medieval boy uh andrew probably have lots to say about him actually (laughs) i'm surprised i ended up with him but anyway so for aquinas ultimate fulfillment of happiness is fulfillment in god direct contemplation and union with God. Contemplation is very important uh, in this. I'll talk maybe a bit more about that in a second. But 
God is the highest good, thus happiness can only be found in the fullness of God's presence. Now, Aquinas and listeners or uh, people who know Aquinas will know that he's an Aristotelian, and so he links all of this with a virtue. Virtue helps us align our actions with the higher purposes of God's will. So if we follow what virtues lead towards, uh, we will end up with God's will. In that way, through contemplation, uh, we can achieve possibly union with God. And that's the ultimate happiness for St. Thomas Aquinas. That's right, which mm-hmm. can involve a lot of suffering and which will involve a lot of suffering. Anybody who knows anything about uh, Thomas Aquinas knows that he practiced mortifications uh, it's mm. small acts of suffering in order to make himself closer with God, mm. sleeping on a cold floor, wearing a wool shirt, like super uncomfortable shirt. That haircut, you know, doesn't look too good. Um, <laughs> so he's giving up. I mean, and this is a really interesting one you brought up, like for a greater pleasure, there can be some physical displeasure, some physical pain. In order to get a greater pleasure, and that greater pleasure is what happiness is. And so for Thomas Aquinas, that greatest pleasure, the greatest joy, whatever we want to say, is this union with God. And so even if there's a bunch of suffering on the way, that greatest pleasure, that form of happiness is all worth it. Well, it's certainly not hedonistic. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, in, in, in Aquinas's way, it is, right? Not the way we think of it. But like you're, mm-hmm. you're doing all these things for, for a future gain, right? Of happiness. Uh, a really devout Christian is like obsessed mm-hmm. with God, right? And just like a hedonistic person might be obsessed with whatever the thing is that they're obsessed with, right? Um, and so in that way, uh, you could sort of see it as hedonistic, I suppose. This desire, this, uh, this attraction to God. Right. Well, let's move on to utilitarianism. So we have, uh, I have one, well, two philosophers, but one theory, and that's utilitarianism. One of the most well-known ethical systems, quite frankly. And the originators of that is Jeremy Bentham and John Stuart Mill. Mill preceded Bentham, but Bentham, to quote from him, nature has placed mankind under the governance of two sovereign masters, pain and pleasure. It is for them alone to point out what we ought to do as well to determine what we shall do. So it's all about pain and pleasure for Bentham and utilitarianism and to figure out through using their calculus what gives us the greatest pleasure and what gives us the the greatest pain and how to avoid pain and how to gain pleasure. And then uh, Mill does his best to try to refine these arguments a little bit, and he does begin talking about higher pleasures and lower pleasures and higher pleasures are like mental pleasures. Uh, so you can think about like maybe the love of philosophy or the love of thinking uh, or something along that nature. And then very, uh, this reminds me of the Greek so much. Uh, then lower pleasures, you got those physical pleasures, right? So we're talking about eating. We're talking about sex. We're talking about tasting things and experiencing things, right? That's all a type of physical pleasure. So Mill tries to differentiate there a little bit. But again, that's super fast. Uh, but it's all kind of linked with everything else, utilitarianism. Gain pleasure and avoid pain. And that's happiness. This pleasure-pain hedonistic concept of happiness is closely related to the emotional conception of happiness. 
And so often so, they're often lumped together, but we can we can still find a little bit of distinctions between them. And Mr. Well, both of you, I guess, but Parsons, since you, uh, at the beginning, you said this one is kind of how you, what camp you said you were in. Uh, let me know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So, so I thought this was interesting that the, let me actually pull it up because I don't want to get it wrong. Yeah. Okay. So the uh, Stanford Encyclopedia of, of Philosophy gave a really interesting quote as a differentiation between hedonism and emotions. And I don't really like it, but I'm going to read it because it's from um, Epictetus. It's from Epictetus' mm. Discourses. And he says, I have a headache. Well, do not say alas. I have an earache. Do not say alas. And I am not saying that it is not permissible to groan. Only do not groan in the center of your being. And so the the point there is that basically that even if we're feeling pain, um, that should not impact like our state of happiness. And I think in kind of a similar way, the idea behind if happiness is an emotion, it's like, okay, we can still be feeling physical and sometimes even mental pain and still be happy. For instance, like when I have it, like the, I think this is an okay example for now. We can talk about it. I have an ear infection, super in pain, or I have COVID. I can still be happy that I'm with my wife or kids. I don't have wife or kids, but if I did, I could still be happy in that moment. And so that would seem to discount this hedonistic position of making a distinction between happiness is pleasure and pain is when we're in pain, we're not happy. But I do think there's some similarities between the two. They both conceive happiness as not really a state, but also as something that's that can fleet and come. Mm-hmm. I think the big takeaway, if we're keeping them, to, uh, if we're thinking about them together, is they think about happiness as something that's fleeting and coming. Uh, what do y'all think about this this idea of, of happiness as an emotion? I think that aligns with kind of what Mr. Parsons and I were saying at the beginning that in comparison to a deeper, less fleeting form of joy or elation, whatever you want to call it, we would call happiness an emotion or more. Yeah, I have to say, if we're going to talk about my biases, I'm being really influenced on this by uh, some stuff I read many years ago from psychology about emotions and it was a study on like what are the basic emotions that all human beings share, no matter culture, time period, language, whatever. And typically it's a list of something along the lines of six to eight emotions that every single human being expresses. And mm-hmm. and here's a list of six of them. Sadness, happiness, fear, anger, surprise, and disgust. And for me, all of those are temporary. All of those can be over in minutes. It can be over in like one minute. It can be over maybe hours or even a couple of days. But nonetheless, it passes on. Fear, anger, I mean, surprise. How long does surprise last? Not long. You know, surprise parties. Surprise! Uh, and then, you know, 60 seconds later, you know, it's like, okay, well, now we're all here. Let's eat cake. So I do want to like identify my biases in this when I think about happiness. I do think of it as emotion, and I do think of it as uh, that. I do think of emotions as being temporary states. How temporary can temporary be? Let's let's just say this first, because this is a big uh, mm. premise in my understanding. What do you say? Uh, I mean, that's be? a great question. What it, would you say? Like it can last for how long? 
Yeah, because you can be, I think about like anger. You can be angry about something for a long time after it happens. But does that mean it's still anger or is it something else? Like, would that mean it's resentment? No, I th- I see what you mean. I think it has morphed at the, I think it does morph into mm-hmm. something else. Like a mm-hmm. state, we're using resentments. That's that's the noun, right? Yeah. It's not the adverb. I'm going back to this language, but it's like, it's changing into something else, mm. which is like a yeah. disposition. It's a state. It is a state. Yeah. And, and I just think mm. like, uh, two days ago was the feast day in the Catholic Church for St. Maximilian Kolbe. And so I keep thinking about him during this because Maximilian, St. Maximilian Kolbe was a guy who did a lot of cool stuff, but eventually he was rounded up and put in a concentration camp because he was a Catholic priest. He was known for being extremely happy during the years that he was um, in the camp. Without end, that was what he was known for. And then mm. at the very end, his last day, what he's known for is he, this is, this is actually connects pretty well. So he uh, was in a line. They picked a father who had a son there to be taken to a starvation chamber. St. Maximilian Kolbe took his place. And his thing was for the, for the last, you know, they were put in a starvation chamber for however long it took to starve them out, whatever. And what he was doing was he was encouraging these people to be happy like he was in their last days of their life. I'm sure that felt like forever for them. And so this guy lasted, I mean, it's unimportant, I guess, but he lasted long after he was supposed to. He lasted like a month without eating any food and uh, p- uh, possessed this dispositional attitude, I think, of happiness. And he's just happy end over end. So, yeah, that's kind of why I think it's, I don't know how an emotion would, if we think that emotion is, can be a long-term thing, then I think it could be. If it's not, then if we change our understanding of an emotion around, and that's going to be another episode, then maybe happiness could fit. And that mm-hmm. might be where our attention lies the temporariness of happiness or of an emotion. Yeah. As you were kind of explaining that, I was thinking about the difference between something like resentment and anger, that you Mm. can resent somebody or a situation as kind of like an in the background feeling, but then if you remember it, you'll feel angry for that moment or that time that you're thinking about it. That's interesting. And then it kind of subdues. That's interesting. And it could be similar with something like happiness happiness versus joy whichever way you want to call it that the long term is just kind of your state of being and then you remember something that makes you feel elated in that moment or for for that period of time but then you're not always going to be elated on that high that you'll have kind of a, a middle ground that you stay at i think that's a good answer yeah it's really interesting of these six emotions that i brought up you know, I think of all, all, I think five of the six are very temporary. Mm-hmm. I can't put a time stamp on it, but surprise, fear, disgust. But I think, uh, you know, sadness. Mm-hmm. Sadness can last a very long time. Yeah. And, you know, maybe we begin to differentiate between, well, some sadness versus, say, depression. And there's, you know, clinical diagnoses of depression versus, I don't know if there's clinical diagnoses of sadness, but and, and perhaps you are, when you are depressed, you are sad, but you may not necessarily go the other direction. You can be sad, but not yeah. depressed. I, you know, I think maybe the, the next one might be anger. Like you could, like anger could last a long time. But like you said, Taylor, it, it can, it can morph into something else because 
you know, you think of anger, it burns, burns so hot, right? Yeah. So bright mm-hmm. in, in whatever that particular moment is. But as days go on, it, it lessens in a way, but something remains, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Very interesting. Very interesting. All right, Taylor, let's, let's hear about the, the last account. So our last account is the satisfaction view, which sits, it's similar, I think, to Andrew's explanation of the emotional view, but instead of being fleeting, it's more of a state of being. So the satisfaction view is from the Stanford Encyclopedia. They describe it as a favorable attitude towards one's life as a whole. So this is more of a holistic account of your life and Mm. how the individual views their life. Um, And this is more closely linked to our priorities than an effect-based account like the hedonistic or emotional, because an individual judges how their life is going in accordance to their priorities. So if you really prioritize something like getting good grades, if you get the grades that you deem satisfactory, you may decide that your life is happy or it meets your satisfaction. Whereas if you don't meet that priority, your life, you may not deem your life satisfactory when otherwise it may be. Hmm. And then from what I found, it's also kind of interlinked with liberal ideas of individual sovereignty. So how well your life is going is yours to decide. You have that freedom to make that value judgment, which I think is really interesting because the other ones, it's more of the end result and you don't really get a say in how you would judge that to be good or bad. It's more objective, I would say. That can kind of explain why we should care so much about happiness. If we're judging a state of being and we have some stake in it, it may matter more. Whereas if it's something that we can't really change, people may have less thought toward it or less desire to be or like deem something happy. So this involves an evaluation of whether one's life is good enough. However, people's values may underdetermine where they should set the bar for good enough. If you don't, if you have lower standards, your bar for good enough may be lower than somebody else's, making this judgment potentially arbitrary. That's kind of the counter argument to the satisfaction view. We may settle for mediocrity mediocrity because we don't believe we deserve better, can achieve better, etc. And it can be a poor indicator of an individual's well-being. I did find an interesting quote from Seneca that kind of relates to the satisfaction view, where he says, true happiness is to enjoy the present without anxious dependence upon the future, not to amuse ourselves with either hopes or fears, but to rest satisfied with what we have which is sufficient for he that is so wants nothing. The greatest blessings of mankind are within us or within our reach. A wise man is content with his lot, whatever it may be, without wishing for what he has not. And I think that kind of gives a good view into satisfaction, that you're satisfied with what you have, whether that brings you pleasure or pain may not matter so much as an overarching feeling of satisfaction. Yeah. Well, I yeah. love the inclusion of Seneca. It's very stoic. Mm-hmm. It's a very yeah. stoic quote. And Seneca wrote on a lot of things like happiness and anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with, with the Stoics, there is this emphasis on the present moment, although mm-hmm. it's not like a uh, 
you know, self-helpy, like be present. Yeah. But it's like uh, the things that cause us distress is when we allow our imaginations to run wild and we uh, obsess about some action we took yeah. way in the past, you know, or we get distressed about the future, which isn't here yet and, of mm-hmm. course, may change. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And, of course, the question is how much can you ever be in the present? But And this notion of contentment with what you have is something that uh, that's a thread that we hear throughout history mm-hmm. uh, w- with thought as well for certain certain areas. I thought the uh, emphasis on freedom is interesting. We we haven't brought that yeah. up yet. I was thinking uh, people are probably familiar with this. Every year, the Sustainable Development Solutions Network, powered by the Gallup World Poll data in mm-hmm. conjunction with the United Nations, releases something called the Happiness Report. And they take six data sets in that. And one of those data sets is freedom. Mm-hmm. Another one is absence from corruption. And uh, that is also kind of indicates a type of freedom. Mm-hmm. The less corrupt yeah. things, the more free you are. There's other things like economic production and life expectancy and generosity. But bringing up freedom, I think, is a really interesting one because and that's also something I would also have a, a strong, strong vein in, say, modern existentialism as well. Mm, but yeah. yeah, it's interesting to me that it hasn't come up yet. Freedom. I think kind of the the sum of the objections is that a person can be satisfied with their life while their life may actually be unpleasant or distressed. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's always the objection to the objection, but kind of that people may not get as much pleasure out of life because they don't prioritize effective measures, but they can still be mm-hmm. happy in their fashion, which I think that's kind of an interesting place to be if your life may not be objectively the best it can be but you're still happy because it meets your standards i think it's interesting no it is a beautiful idea right that you can be happy and mm-hmm. in, in any circumstance yeah you know uh, andrew brought up concentration camps earlier it also makes me think of victor frankel yeah. the great psychologist and philosopher who also endured six different death camps and somehow lived through it all you know, he talked about the confinement of it all and, and mm-hmm. his, I don't know if he was happy. But he, he found purpose. You know, he had a real emphasis on choice. He mm-hmm. did. He found purpose. And purpose might be a type of happiness. And so even in those particular conditions, you know, if yeah. you can find purpose in it, you can find happiness. That's a sullen and good way to end an episode on happiness. <laughs> <laughs> well, Yeah. Alright everyone, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Open Door Philosophy on Happiness. We would love to know what you think, and I'll turn it over to Mr. Parsons. Oh no, Andrew, turn it over to Oh, Andrew. Andrew. You can email us and find us at contact at opendoorphilosophy.com. Please send us, like Taylor said, whatever you think of this episode and any episode suggestions you have. You can also find us on Instagram at opendoorphilosophy. And on TikTok as well, I which I hear is booming. No, no, we're not yeah. on TikTok. Not okay. TikTok. We we will we tried. It was a try. Oh, okay, we'll try. It was an honest effort. Yeah, no happiness on TikTok. One day, but we are on YouTube. So check us out on YouTube. <laughs> Open door philosophy. Love seeing the comments there. Um, and maybe one day we'll be you'll be able to see our faces there. That would be great. Yeah. One day. One, one day, day soon. Hopefully. <laughs> 
Well, you know what makes me happy, guys? Uh, the usage of free music. And so we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for, uh, for allowing us the use of his music. And, uh, wow, I guess that's it, guys. We did it. Somehow. Did it. it started out so drab. I feel like our energy level is maybe a little higher. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah I don't know. That August feeling. That August feeling. <laughs> Oh boy, it's August, all right. Okay, everyone, hey, that's it. Uh, Remember, guys, when your life is in need of some philosophy, the door is always open. See you later. Bye. Ciao.